I'm reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 13, and that can be found on 1012 of the Church Bible. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked round, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished just as it is written about him. Well, as we were reading that passage just now, I wonder if any of you were thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had an experience like that? You know, some sort of great spiritual uh, a vision or, or something. Wouldn't that help us to uh, trust the Lord more, to be more faithful to him? Um, sometimes people speak about mountaintop experiences and uh, a quick Google of that brought up the, um, uh, the, the, the notion that, that this phrase, a mountaintop experience, comes from several places in the Bible. And it's based on th uh, things that people experienced, people like Moses and uh, Peter, James and John uh, in this particular case. What I want us to look at this morning, though, uh, is asking ourselves the question, what, what was it that we can learn? What is it that we can learn uh, from Peter, James, and John's experience uh, all those hundreds of years ago. What does it mean for us today? I don't get on well. Ah, it does work. Good. Right. It's a dazzling sight. We've just been reading it uh, from Mark's Gospel. Uh, there are two other accounts of it in two of the other Gospels, in, uh, in Matthew and Luke. And I'll just refer to those occasionally during, uh, uh, during our time together because th they give a few more details or slightly different details uh, when you've got various different eyewitnesses and how you report it. And, and the fact that, it's, uh, you know, they, that they spoke in one language, they wrote in another, and it's been translated into ours. There's going to be little differences that, that bring out sort of, uh, further information for us. Uh, but what happened? We're told uh, in Luke's gospel that they went up the meet, uh, that mountain 
for Jesus to pray. You find that in uh, Luke chapter uh, 9, uh, starting at verse 28. Um, when they went up there, Jesus uh, was praying. And as he was praying, we read in Luke's gospel, he was transfigured. He changed. He suddenly became as whiter than anything could possibly be here on earth. Uh, Matthew tells us that his face started shining bright. Uh, and it was quite clearly uh, something out of the ordinary was going on. He had taken just three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And if anyone's wondering, why did he just take three? And why did he take just those three? Well, people have written books about why he did that, but the Bible doesn't actually tell us why he chose those ones. But that's what happened. Those three... And they went up the mountain and they saw Jesus being transformed, transfigured, being clothed in bright white clothes that shone. His face shone like the sun. And something was going on there that is beyond anyone's normal, natural experiences. This is Jesus Christ being revealed in his glory. And we read as well that he wasn't alone. There were two others that uh, came along, uh, two, two others that, that were there talking to Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And we could ask the question, well, why those two? Well, I'll mention again in a few minutes, but uh, you know, Moses stands in, in a sense, a representative of the law of God. He was the one who was given the Ten Commandments and all the other laws that governed the, the nation of Israel. Again, on a mountaintop. Mountaintops seem to figure in these things, but don't regard all mountaintops as equal. There are other mountaintops available. Uh, but got Moses representing the law of God that God had given to govern his people. And Elijah is a representative of the prophets. The law and the prophets, the, the two things that come out of the Old Testament and upon which Jesus came to fulfill. He kept the law. He fulfilled the prophecies. And Moses and Elijah stand uh, as representatives of those two things. And he is talking to them. And Jesus appears in glory. John was later to write later on uh, of having seen his glory uh, in, in his gospel in John chapter 1. Uh, he in includes that description uh, that he, we have seen his glory and talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And when I want us to remember that as we talk about the, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God. It's more than just what we might be able to see with our eyes should we have the opportunity and which we will one day see when he comes again in glory and every eye will see him. Those of us who love him and follow him and given our lives to him have been born again by his spirit. We will spend eternity <coughs> with him in that glory. It's, but the glory of God is not just seen in the things that you can see with your eyes, but in knowing what he is like. It talks about his character as well. <laughs> it encompasses his grace, his mercy, his truth, and, and all the rest of it. But even just seeing what 
Peter, James and John saw, Jesus revealed in, in all his glory. What does that indicate? It, talks, it indicates something of his power, his purity, holiness, his kingship, his authority. And it's all beyond our understanding. But inevitably, as the disciples saw it, they were frightened. You know, sometimes we would think, wouldn't we, as we draw close to God and, uh, and spend time with him, uh, you know, what are we looking for? A warm, fuzzy feeling? Well, sometimes, yes, God does impart to us a sense of his peace, his great blessing and his warmth and his comfort and his compassion and his, his love. And yet, if we were to see him as he really is, we would be so ashamed of what we are that we would be frightened to stand in the presence of one. And it's one of those things that uh, Matthew uh, does record that Mark doesn't, um, that as the experience that they had unfolded, uh, they fell, he says in Matthew 17, verse 6, they fell face down on the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. And Get up, he said, don't be afraid. Again, later on in John's life, you know, I've already said that when he wrote his gospel, he talked about having seen the, 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 the glory. But even later on in his life, he had a vision of Jesus revealed again in all his glory and get, went into a lot more detail. We read about it in the in, uh, book of Revelation, chapter 1. And again, he fell down on his face, terrified. And Jesus came and said, don't be afraid. That was one of the amazing things that comes out of this. I'll return to this again, uh, that, that, that God is so different to us. He's, he is so great. He is so powerful. He is so mighty. He is so glorious, so pure, so holy, so unimaginably great. And yet he does have that love and compassion for his people. And he comes to us and says, don't be afraid. He picks us up and gives us confidence to stand in his presence. I want you to think for a moment. When people talk to you about Jesus, when you think about Jesus, what go immediately goes through your mind? What, what sort of picture do you have of him? I know as a child growing up, and you know, I, I, I was brought up as a churchgoer, I wouldn't say that I really heard the gospel uh, in the particular church my parents took me to. Um, but I, I grew up with all the stories of Jesus and, uh, and some of the uh, children's songs and, uh, and hymns we sung at the time. And the, but one of the thing, phrases that echoes back from my childhood was, Jesus gentle, meek and mild, look upon this little child. And I, I think that sort of fashioned the way in which my mind worked, how I thought of Jesus. And others will perhaps think of him as the teacher, telling parables, the miracle worker doing miracles. But how do you picture him in your mind? How do you consider him? What we have here is Jesus starting to reveal himself as he really is. Do you stop and think about that? When you look at John's vision that he had of Jesus in, in the book of Revelation, uh, eyes like flashing fire, uh, his 
voice like the sound of a two-edged sword uh, coming from his, uh, his mouth. You know, the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword, that the writer to the Hebrews described as uh, d- dividing us up so that we can, you know, our very bodies, so that we can see that he knows all things about us. His word penetrates us. When we see him as he really is, we would understand that he is more than just a teacher. He's more than just a man. He's more than just a, a, a very uh, impressive miracle worker. But he is God himself. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he was here on earth, that glory, that splendor, that majesty, that power was cloaked. It was veiled. It was hidden from sight. Some of the hymns that we uh, sing occasionally, particularly around Christmas time, reflect some of that, uh, that thought. Um, Lord, from the splendor of heaven you came, entered our world in its sin and its shame, and humbly you laid all your glory aside, born man of sorrows, rejected, denied. Another hymn, Lord, you were rich beyond all splendor, yet for love's sake became so poor. Thrones for a manger did surrender, sapphire paved courts for stable floor. Lord, you are God beyond all praising, yet for love's sake became a man. Stooping so low, but sinners raising heavenwards by your eternal plan. Lord, you are love beyond all telling. Saviour and King, we worship you. Emmanuel, within us dwelling, make us and keep us pure and true. Emmanuel, God with us, coming to us. But came, when he came into this world, born as a baby, grew up, became a man, ministered to people, went around teaching, preaching, telling people the good news that, that he had come to save them, performing miracles, signs and wonders so that it attested to who he was. Yet his glory was hidden. His glory was veiled. And just for this brief moment, and probably not in all its fullness, it was that that veil was drawn back. The curtain was t- drawn back so that Peter, James and John could see it. How did they respond? Well, I talked about already about them falling down. Peter. Oh, I do like Peter. He says such astonishing and stupid things sometimes. It makes me feel so comfortable to, 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 to know that I'm not the only one who puts me... Are you one of those people who, if you... Uh, you imagine yourself in a situation where uh, you're with other people and you think, you should be having a conversation. You should be talking, but you haven't a clue what to say. And it's quiet and it's silent. And you just have to say something. Oh, maybe, you know, we're talking about small groups. Uh, I've been in small groups in the past where nobody wants to say a word. And there was one particular group. um, People concerned largely aren't here anymore. But but there was one person who just couldn't abide (laughs) silence while people thought. And would jump in and say anything and everything. Um, all the time. Are you one of those people just having to fill the silence, regardless of whether it makes sense or not? I have to say, the last group I was, also, the, the opposite problem applied that nobody would shut up. But, um, <laughs> but um, are you one of those people who can't abide uh, silence, or you just have to say something? You have to 
have your say and, 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 and speak up. Well, Peter seems to be one of those people. And so there they are. They're terrified at this incredible scene that, they have, that they're witnessing. And it's not just some sort of dream they're having. This was actually real in front of them. The three of them seeing it together. And so what does Peter do? Effectively, he says, shall we put some tents up so they can stay? Have three, one for each of them, Jesus, Elijah, Moses. And Mark and Luke record that he said this because he didn't know what he was saying. It's just something that comes out, you know. Oh, got to do something. Oh, oh, let's say. You can imagine James and John suddenly sort of listening to Peter. Shall we make some little shelters for them to stay in? And they go, what? You, you, you must be joking. You know, what, 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 what's that suggestion for? It's because it just seems so incongruous that here is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords revealed in his glory. Two people from history, from hundreds of years before the time, there in body and flesh, they're talking to each other. And he's just thinking about, let, let's, let's put up some shelters, keep them from the, the wind and the rain and somewhere to sleep. You know. It seems so incongruous. But that's what Peter is thinking, isn't it? It's as if he's saying, let's stay here. It's, it's thinking, this is such a great thing that's happening. We must stop it going away. Let's preserve it for as long as possible. But he didn't really understand what he was saying. He didn't really understand the consequences of what that one might mean. Um, and he was just coming up with something to do, something to say. And he's not so different to the rest of us, really. You know, there is often that desire to hang on to things that are special. In the Christian uh, life, in the Christian world, there's sometimes times and seasons where you know unusually clear blessings, where you're very much conscious of God's grace and, your, uh, and his mercy to you, or you're receiving a particular blessing at a particular point in time, a particular place. Maybe special places. I, 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 every time I go through, drive, drive through Bala and go drive down uh, alongside the lake, I remember a particular evening. As some of you will know the Christian Conference Centre, Brunner Grice, which is just at the head of uh, the, the Bala end of, uh, of the lake there. And years ago, as a young student, I went on a house party, Christian Union house party at Brunner Grice. And it was a, a remarkable um, weekend and we had very very good ministry the sort of ministry where uh, where uh, one particular preacher was talking and he he talked and he talked and he talked and nobody noticed the time because it was so rich and such a blessing coming from uh, uh, from what this preacher was saying um, in fact he spoke for about two hours and it, it felt like ten minutes but such rich uh, wisdom and s spiritual blessing was imparted through that. And then some of us went for a walk afterwards. Late at night, middle of February, one of those cold, frosty nights, but with a clear sky. And just at the end of the lake, there's a little jetty that goes out. And we, we went and sat on the end of the jetty, not quite dipping our feet in the water. <laughs> it was a bit too cold for that. Um, and the, the moon was out and reflected on the lake, and 
mountains were covered with snow and frost, and it looked absolutely beautiful. And coming after having just had this wonderful uh, meeting where God had blessed us so richly, we sat there and we shared the things of God with each other. And I always remember that every time I drive down the road past where the jetty is at the end of uh, uh, the, the lake. And sometimes, you know, I know people want to go back to a place like that because they got a blessing in, in, on one occasion before. If they go back, they'll get another blessing. That's how the thinking might go. For other people, it might not be a special place. It might be special times, special seasons. It might be uh, a particular church. It might be a particular preacher. Oh, we just return to the place of blessing. And these days we can do that so easily, particularly tuning into your favourite preacher. Oh, I feel a bit down today. I'll, I'll get his next sermon series up and, uh, and listen again. And it may be someone from the other side of the world or, or whatever. Sometimes we want to return to a particular place, recreate a particular time, revisit a particular person because we're looking to repeat something that we have received in the past or to hold on to something that we've received. I think maybe in Peter's confused thinking there may have been something that this is special. Let's stop here. Let's enjoy it. But then think back to if you were here last week, Nathan was preaching on the previous passage. Was Nathan preaching on the previous passage? Yes, yeah. I knew we'd had a sermon on the previous passage. I couldn't remember the person. That may be a good thing, what I'm about to say anyway. Um, but you know, if, you, if you look back to that, remember the way of following Jesus? Or what Jesus says, if you would follow him, what it would imply? Whoever wants to be my disciples... This is verse 34 in Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now that implies that it's not always going to be the great, wonderful mountaintop type experiences, but it's going to be the hardships and the difficulties and the pain that comes through being a disciple of Jesus Christ. This is Jesus who was to go on and be crucified. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. But he was crucified. He suffered and took all our punishment and our shame. And we're called to follow him. We're going to suffer. Not the same way that Jesus did, but we will suffer if we follow Jesus Christ. It's not always the nice, comfortable, happy, joyous experiences. There's, there, there, there are difficulties to come. And so to find a nice place of safety and where you're cocooned and, uh, uh, and, and kept in one place is not the way of following Jesus. As Jesus then was to lead them back down the mountain. But before we go back down the mountain with Jesus, just ref reflect on an astonishing conversation that was going on. What were they talking about? Je Jesus, Moses, Elijah? Luke tells us, he said, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. 
the word departure there is actually the word exodus. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's going to be going. <laughs> At Jerusalem, he would be handed over to the authorities. At Jerusalem, he would be betrayed. He would be denied by Peter, who's just seen this wonderful vision. Peter would deny him, deny knowing him. And he would be crucified, bearing the sins of the world, of your sins, my sins, bearing our punishment, bearing our shame, experiencing the whole wrath of God being poured out on him because of who we are and what he has done. Going back to those songs that we sing, from heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve and give your life that we might live. That's the astonishing part of the conversation, isn't it? Not that these three were talking, but here is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, revealed in all his glory, his majesty, and his power, authority, and dominion, his holiness, his purity, and he is going to come to Jerusalem and then die for people like you and me. The conversation itself, the fact that they had it wasn't the astonishing bit, it's what they were talking about that really is astonishing that God, that the king should do something like that for us. And not because we desperately um, think he's wonderful and we come to him and he says, oh, I'll sort it out for you. He's doing that in order that we might be turned to him. He's not doing that because we have turned to him and he's trying to sort it out now. He's doing it in order to make the way for us. He loved us before we loved him. And he gave himself for us. He came to seek and to save the lost. Not to be served, but to serve. The glorious king was coming to die. And then there's another voice comes as a cloud descends and uh, and envelops them. They hear the voice of God, the Father Almighty. And he says, this is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And there we find an even more astonishing conversation. Why were Peter, James, and John taken up onto the mountaintop? Why were they shown Jesus in all his glory? Why did they see Moses uh, and Elijah, why did they hear? It, God was doing this for them, that they might know, that they might, uh, in a sense, be reassured, but then <laughs> that they would have a clear understanding. But notice this, that this wasn't what made them believe. Go back earlier on in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, the previous chapter, verse 27 to 30, and Jesus is having a conversation with them. Who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the Christ, the, the anointed one, the one who was promised from ages back would come and rescue his people. He already believed that much. And then having believed, he has shown this extra part. But hear what God the Father told them. 
Listen to him. Listen to him. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, revealed in all his glory. God is saying, listen to him. He is important. Stephen, his prayer earlier on was uh, talking about King Charles the, 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 the third, and we, we couldn't possibly imagine that we would just turn up and, uh, and ask him things. Here we have the king of kings, the ruler, the creator of all things. And he is telling us, reminding us, listen to him. You may not yet believe in him. Maybe somebody sitting here this morning or listening online and thinking, well, you know, isn't this all just a bit of like a fairy tale or a myth or a legend? And you say, I'm not going to believe this or maybe you're one of those who does know what the Bible says and say I don't want to follow Jesus I prefer my life as it is thank you very much well it doesn't change the fact that he is the king and he is the judge and he will come again just been singing about that just because you choose not to accept him as king doesn't mean that he isn't the ruler over this world and ruler over your life but the wonderful thing is that he is a God of compassion, a king of compassion. Yes, he is all these glorious, wonderful things, but he comes to us to rescue us and to save us. Well, Jesus led them back down the mountain. And a strange thing happens because he says to them not to tell anyone about what they'd seen until after he had uh, been raised from the dead. You think, well, if I'd seen something like that, I want to tell everybody about it. And surely, you know, as Christians, don't we want to tell people about God? And Jesus said, don't tell them until I've been raised from the dead. They then had a conversation about being raised from the dead because they still hadn't got it, what Jesus had come to do. But imagine what would happen if they had talked about it. Because waiting until after Jesus had raised from the dead, when they went around talking about Jesus, it would be about Jesus. This is the man who came back from life. If they'd started talking about what they'd seen when they came down from the mountain, they'd be talking about what they had seen. And the, then they would be the focus of attention, not just Jesus, but they themselves. It becomes the danger of it becoming about them. Oh, uh, Peter, you know, he's, he had a wonderful vision. We must go and listen to him. We just go and hear him share what he saw. James and John, yeah, they're sons of thunder, but yeah, but they saw Jesus. They're important, they're special. That's not how it should be. It should be about Jesus. Jesus leads them down the mountain, back to the normal world, if you like. And this is where we live and serve God. We need to remember who he really is, his power, authority, his purity, full of grace and truth. We can come back with him. It's not the mountaintop experiences that really matter. They can help us should we happen to have one, but it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are uh, going to be, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought at the moment. Just bear with us a moment. Yeah. 
we need to bear in, we need to remember who Jesus really is. It's not about us. It's about him. It's not about our favorite preacher, our particular church or particular churches we want. It's about him. And we need to serve him. In our present circumstances, he is as much with us today, he is as much the king of kings uh, today as he was on a mountaintop somewhere in Israel 2,000 years ago. We need to trust him. That comes back to Jesus and us. We have a wonderful privilege of being able to know him, to be saved by him, to have his Holy Spirit living in, in us as we've been born again by that spirit, as we put our faith and trust in him. We don't have to go up a mountaintop to find him or go and sit by a nice slowly flowing river. He's with us when we're at work. He's with us when we're at school. He's with us when we're at home. He's with us when we're uh, out in the streets. He's with us when we're in danger. He's with us when everything's going nicely. That's the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not somewhere where we have to find special places, sanctuaries to go to find him. He is already with us. Reach out to him. Trust him and walk with him. Listen to him. That's what God tells us. Listen to him. Listen to him in his word. And the preaching and teaching that comes from it. As we speak to one another about him. Listen to him. Learn about him. And come, take up your cross and follow him. Let's pray and then I'll hand back to Nathan. Lord, we do thank you for your wonderful love and great goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for that glimpse of glory, even though it is second-hand in that sense, that uh, Peter and James and John saw and uh, were astonished by it, or frightened by it. Thank you that in revealing your power there, uh, it reminded them of who you are. And Lord, as we see what you have done throughout history and see the great salvation things that you've accomplished in your death, resurrection and ascension, of the pouring out of your spirit upon your people. Lord, we thank you for the way that you are working, and that is part of your glory as well. So, Lord, help us to love you, to follow you, to give our lives to you. For your name's sake, amen.